This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 331 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-0 win against RB Leipzig and the signing of Thomas Meunier and everything else we can squeeze into about 30 minutes and for all that and more joins me Lars Polman. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Since it's only 30 minutes, I'm just doing fine, Stefan. <laughs> All right, I'm doing okay as well. Um, I'm very happy to announce that this episode is sponsored by at BVB Indy on Twitter. And he is sending his regards to all Borussia Dortmund fans from Indianapolis. Uh, he also wanted to ask how much it would cost for uh, me to uh, basically demand Michi Batruai to be re-signed. Um, but uh, yeah, no. Anyway, if you also want to sponsor an episode, uh, go to patreon.com slash wall for more information. And without any further ado, Lars, it is time to talk about that 2-0 win on last Saturday. And since uh, I've had a lot of connectivity issues this week and could not record before today, which is Friday, uh, I've almost forgotten this game, but uh, I've heard and read and uh, vaguely remember that Dortmund played pretty well and... Uh, Overall, I would say, uh, did better in both games in the head-to-head -head comparison, which is not unimportant against the third-place team. So, Lars, uh, your initial reaction five days or six days after the game? Yeah, I would agree with what you just said. Uh, overall, a very good performance, a very mature performance, I thought. Um, being much the better side for let's say 75 of the 90 minutes, there was a phase in the second half where Leipzig were a bit more dominant on the ball, pushing Dortmund back in their own half a bit. But also I think Dortmund kind of invited that. It wasn't really pressure. I mean, uh, it's not like Leipzig uh, created too many actual scoring opportunities. Uh, I think there were a couple where Roman Bürki did well to dispel any danger but overall I don't think I ever felt like Dortmund's lead was truly in danger over the 90 minutes or whenever they they got ahead thanks to uh, Erling Haaland and obviously uh, if you look especially in the first half there were quite a number of uh, quite a few chances to make the scoreline more comfortable which obviously didn't really work out in the first meeting against Leipzig so it was nice to see them uh, hold on to the lead and also whether the very mild storm that Leipzig were able to produce. So I think, as I said, a, a mature performance led by a fantastic individual performance uh, of Mats Hummels's. I think this was one of his best games ever, maybe in a Dortmund shirt, which is obviously saying a lot because he's been around for quite some time. But the way he led the, the defense and also how he was involved in most attacking moves, especially that, that gorgeous uh, team move for the first goal uh, where, where he dribbled out of a tight spot and released 
who was it? Was it Brandt and then Hazard, Brandt and Haaland? I think that was the sequence. So You forgot that one was, very important detail, but uh, more on that later, I guess. No, now I'm curious. Well, the delicious first and only touch net sequence that was Gio Reyna. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is basically an American podcast in a way, so that that's going to go over well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, just a nice performance. Obviously not the most tense game uh, in terms of, you know, the outcome. I mean, obviously there's some level of pride involved beating Leipzig to second place, but, you know, there's no such thing as a vice championship, even though that's a term in Germany we kind of use quite often. And, and obviously, there's also some money involved in finishing second over third, but it wasn't, you know, uh, a must-win game by any stretch of the imagination. And there, there would have been some understanding from my side anyway. If after a long season and obviously this crazy lockdown or post-lockdown period, if the team, uh, you know, had slacked off a little bit, as we saw in a few games before, so for them to come back against a strong opponent as Leipzig, even though they arguably are, have run out of steam in the second half of the season. That was still, still a nice sign of, you know, the the innate competitive edge this team has, which is something that is being questioned by some people uh, basically throughout every other season at Dortmund these days. Yeah, no, it was definitely a very good uh, and mature performance, as you said. I'm also very encouraged by the showing of Matteo Morey, who um, was very solid and I think uh, got a lot of praise by the likes of uh, Zorg and Emre Can after the game um, for uh, his defensive showings and obviously maybe should have even scored in this game. But, uh, you know, um, not unimportant considering uh, the right-back situation, which we will cover in a, in a little bit. And otherwise, uh, I thought Julian Brandt bounced back a little bit and it was uh, encouraging to see that he did not have back passes to Timo Werner this time. So, um, yeah, interesting also to see just how, how poorly Timo Werner played in, in those, uh, I don't know, 70 minutes or whatever and then was subbed off in his uh, final home match for Leipzig. So, um, yeah, Dortmund can be very happy with that and obviously Arling Haaland um, scored a brace Yet again, a very good performance by him. And, uh, you know, it's it's very promising. He obviously now scored his uh, 13th goal in 14 appearances in the Bundesliga, which is, uh, I don't know if it's a record, but it's pretty darn good. And uh, we do have a record to celebrate, of course, which is uh, that Dortmund now have scored 84 league goals. And that is obviously a club record. And uh, I, I think there is some, some credit to the team and obviously also to... Uh, Michael Zorg, uh, first and foremost, for, uh, you know, assembling a squad like that that's capable of that, but also uh, to Lucien Favre, who, uh, you know, managed to outs outscore sides uh, that were coached by the likes of Jürgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel, even if the squad quality even has increased a little bit since. But still, uh, that's that's a, a gigantic feat and uh, something that uh, Favre and the uh, Dortmund players and the goal scorers can be proud of. So, uh, yay. Uh, any any uh, quick comment on, on that stat, Lars, before we move on? Uh, mostly what a goal it was to break the record, actually. I mean, it would have been nice either way, but to break it with uh, a fantastic team move that I incorrectly described earlier, uh, obviously the right kind of goal scorer as well. 
uh, yeah, that that's certainly an achievement in itself. Obviously, kind of pales a little bit in comparison with Bayern, uh, as so many things in the Bundesliga do, uh, because obviously Bayern, I don't even know, do they still have a realistic shot at, at scoring 100 goals this season? They, they, they were on track at least a few games ago. I'm not quite sure now, because obviously Bayern... Basically, out of out of the Bundesliga's yeah, they, reach they need in, in four most goals departments. Against, sorry, they need still four goals against Wolfsburg. So that's that's uh, not easy because Wolfsburg have been defensively solid this season, but it's also not impossible for them if they really set their mind to it. I don't know if that's something that uh, that they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I think it would have been different if Lewandowski had a realistic shot at forty goals, which is obviously this. Uh, hugely symbolic magic mark that uh, Gerd Müller scored in the 70s. Uh, he's uh, Lewandowski is on 33, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't think he's going to put seven past Wolfsburg, but obviously he once scored five past them in, in nine minutes, was it? So who's to say? But I mean, coming back to Dortmund, as I said, what a nice goal to celebrate a, a pretty remarkable achievement with. What Michel Zorc said at the press conference pre-Hoffenheim is something that uh, actually stuck with me a little bit. And he, he just pointed out that uh, in the second half of the season in the Bundesliga, Dortmund uh, made up a lot of points in comparison to, to other teams. Obviously not Bayern, but uh, Dortmund made up 30 points on Schalke, 13 on Leipzig, 12 on Gladbach and 7 on Leverkusen. Um, which shows uh, how how good Dortmund's second half of the season was. And right now they're sitting on 69 points and obviously... Uh, with another three, they can uh, breach the 70-point threshold yet again, um, which obviously is, is a good scoring record. But, uh, you know, the, the the problem for Dortmund really is that if Bayern score 82 points, if they win the next game, that's one point more than Dortmund's best ever season, which was in 2011-2012 under Jürgen Klopp, the 81-point season. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be very hard to replicate that, especially since uh, back then it was an absolute Bundesliga record, 80 one points was never reached before, so for Dortmund to to play on that level, it's it's obviously not impossible, but um, it's very difficult. But um, we've all visited the good old Tabellenrechner in in uh, recent times, obviously, and uh, uh, if if you do the math in your head or via that tool, you will see had Dortmund won both head-to-head -head games against Bayern Munich, obviously. A gigantic if but if they had they'd still be one point ahead of Bayern Munich so uh, there, there are many ways to, to look at this uh, scoreline um, but it goes to show that next season it will be absolutely crucial for Dortmund to at least take three points of Bayern and uh, better yet hold them to to a draw in the other game or, or something like that to, to have a realistic shot at least at the title Otherwise, uh, if you lose both games, it's it's pretty much looking like the ten point gap it is. So, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Lars, since you screwed up, uh, you can uh, once again uh, repent and and describe the the first touch or or, or whatever that action was by Gio Reyna before we, I think, move on to other news. I don't know what what there's really left to describe. I mean, uh, certainly great awareness shown by such a young player, but I think. Uh, regular listeners know how highly I think we all think of Gio Reyna. I said before, or at least I wrote about it, I might not have said it here, that, that I think he's much further along at the age of 17 uh, in comparison to his compatriot uh, Pulisic. 
who obviously wasn't by any stretch of the imagination a bad player or like just a talent at, at 17 but i think geo offers something even more tantalizing in terms of his footballing iq uh, he might not be the the explosive guy that Pulisic is as as people saw when he made the first uh, step for Liverpool's uh, title celebration on Thursday with with uh, a pretty dynamic move himself um, but you know Gio I think is more of a central player is going to end up as a more central player than Pulisic so for all the USMNT fans listening to us I think that's a that's a really exciting prospect of having two of these uh, players playing together for a long time in the national team yeah I uh, wholeheartedly agree now uh, last week I I think I was uh, I mean we all knew it was going to be announced but I think we recorded before it was announced uh, Roman Bürki extended his contract for another two years and uh, it's now running until 2023 Lars your reaction please Meh. All right. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we've talked about uh, Berkey on and off basically since I've became a part of this show in, what was it, 2015? That was back then his first season. I think we've voted him as player of the season on at least one occasion, but we've also talked about uh, a, a, a number of mistakes that the number one at a club like Dortmund shouldn't make. I think I made the case pre-restart of the Bundesliga or maybe in the first episode back uh, that you know he's not having the kind of season a clear-cut number one at a club like Dortmund should have and I mean since then he's been really good I mean outside of that potentially a mistake against Bayern I'm still not quite sure how I would view that incident uh, against the the Kimmich chip uh, I mean he was very good for example against Leipzig even though they didn't produce too much but whatever came uh, in front of him he he dealt with it very well there's certainly an argument to be made that or that 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 I would make that you know I I think Dortmund could probably do a little better but also you also always have to keep in mind especially in 2020 that there's this coronavirus situation and a lot of uncertainty uh, in the transfer market so keeping with what you know works pretty well I wouldn't say it works great all the time is probably the smart move and I think that's basically a carbon copy answer in, in some ways that you could give towards the, one of your next questions I guess which is going to be centered on Lucien Favre yeah uh, I was uh, not gonna talk about Favre but we can obviously uh, talk about that now because Michael Zorc announced on Thursday that uh, Lucien Favre will definitely be the coach on the Dortmund sideline next season and that sort of ends the speculation at least for now um, for who will be the coach next season uh, there were names like Jesse March and Nico Kovac and whatnot and I think Ten Hag of Ajax were all floating around um, I expect that they will extend Favre's contract after the season because I don't foresee them uh, going into uh, with Favre into the next year as a lame duck um, but stranger things have happened. Uh, what what are you making of this uh, move by Dortmund? I personally think it's it's a very solid one, and I actually would have given Favre another season as well. So, uh, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, I think 
as as I said with Berkey, there's kind of a case to be made that it's not working out to like a 100% success rate, but since you don't have any guarantees when you bring in a new guy that it's going to work even close to 100%, especially in this current climate, it always makes sense to stick with what you know works pretty well. And I mean, Favre is definitely working pretty well with Dortmund. They are uh, once again vice champions. As I said before, that's not really a thing, but I mean, best of the rest. When Bayern are in your uh, competition and, and, and doing well, which, you know, they did for two seasons, even though they weren't at their full strengths for large parts of both campaigns. I mean, ultimately, they end up uh, winning the, the double last season with, I think, 78 points. You already mentioned how many points they can amass this season, beating Dortmund's uh, non-Bayern league record score. So, I mean... It's not easy beating Bayern to the championship. Obviously, they, they, there might have been a chance in both of these years, but uh, I think it's not only down to the coach that it didn't work out. Um, I think, obviously, the cup performances, both in the DFB-Pokal and the Champions League, have left something to be desired. And I certainly took note when Hans-Joachim Watzke, Dortmund CEO, talked to, I think, Ruhrnachrichten and kind of made that known that you know, the, there should be a higher focus on the cup competition next season, as, uh, as well as obviously pointing for the championship if Bayern, uh, you know, open that door. But, you know, I think a lack of alternatives plus pretty solid, if not very good performance by far from the second half of the season and also him having pretty much the full support of the team, as far as we know, uh, makes this a solid move, as you said, um, but I definitely would be hesitant to give him another another contract extension, even though obviously I agree with the idea that Dortmund typically don't like doing lame duck seasons. I think the only real uh, situation I can think of with a Dortmund lame duck head coach was Peter Stöger, and he was obviously more of a caretaker anyway. Yeah, but obviously that was the biggest success Dortmund ever had. So, um, you know, Peter Stöger was just uh, the swaggiest coach Dortmund ever had. Um, no, but in in all honesty, um, it's it's a bit weird to me that um, Dortmund have not supported Favre as vocally at, as they could have. I I think there are a couple of sentiments uh, of of other uh, outlets that that go in a similar direction. I, I feel like Dortmund could have. Uh, backed him a little bit better, um, but obviously, uh, you know, on on the same time, I will make this prediction: um, if he does not win a title next season, he will be gone. So, um, you know, I I I think uh, the the reports are still that Julian Nagelsmann is still their their number one favorite candidate or whatever. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I just wanted to quickly uh, talk about it because there was speculation, and now it's at least for for the next season it's killed. Um, something else that happened, uh, which I think is very important for Dortmund, uh, is that Michael Zorc added another year to his uh, contract and uh, now has a contract running till twenty twenty two. As you said, with the coronavirus going around and a lot of uncertainty. Having a powerhouse as a sporting director of so many years of experience, literally decades, um, it's it's very important. Obviously, handing over the the reins to I don't know who it's going to be. I guess Sebastian Kehl or someone uh, in these uncertain times. Obviously, not uh, ideal. So uh, I appreciated very much that Michael Sorg added another year to that. Uh, Lars, how do you see that? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, I was quite surprised. I think uh, pretty much everyone who knows a little bit about Dortmund kind of expected him to no longer be in the forefront of like the the sporting department uh, starting in 21. I think it's been made public, even though he's never really addressed it, that that was kind of his exit point. But I think it's a it's a great show of the service he has done this club over, as you said, decades. I mean, I'm turning 31 in, in a couple of weeks and I don't know that I could consciously remember uh, uh, Ed Dortmund's uh, without talk in either, you know, a very prominent playing role or a prominent uh, role uh, outside of the pitch. So, uh, I mean, that's uh, that's a really rare kind of thing and the, the, the kind of relationship between club and, and one man. I don't know that there's a, another example of that in, in Germany, at least. I don't really think of anyone. Uh, so him him staying around, as I said, a great show of the service he's doing to the club. But also, I think, uh, as you said, very very important uh, given the uncertainty in Corona times. And also, I don't think they would have been, you know, uh, happy with giving the reins to say Sebastian Kehl uh, in in twenty one just yet uh, I think they haven't really been able to perhaps as much as they want uh, show Kiel the ropes a bit I think he was brought on uh, in part to learn uh, off talk but for some reasons that doesn't seem to have materialized so far so maybe that's something they have to make more of a point of going forward if Kiel is indeed the the heir apparent if you like um and also, I think just to to mention relatively quickly, uh, the contract extension brings talk until the end of the season in twenty two, uh, and at the end of the year twenty two, uh, Hans Joachim Watzke's contract as CEO is running out, and I'm pretty much predicting that uh, Watzke is also going to sign a short term contract extension. I think that idea has also been floated by by some members of the of the media. Uh, just because uh, I I think they made a point of uh, talk and Watzke not ending their contracts at the same time, basically, or six months apart, uh, which would now be the case, and and I think that would be too much change uh, at the at the highest level uh, for Dortmund to handle smoothly. So I would expect that if talk is indeed going to hang up, is uh, I don't know suit. Uh, in, in the summer of 22 that Watzke would probably stay on until uh, 23, which, you know, would also be a good thing. I know that a lot of people who don't really understand what a CEO's role is kind of think of Watzke as this uh, money-greedy, you know, not thinking about sporting success enough kind of thing, which is something that you can see on Twitter all the time. But I think uh, you would do really... Uh, it's a really hard job thinking of someone who could take all uh, over all the uh, all the roles that Watzke is basically playing for Dortmund. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, Lars. Uh, I feel a little bit of anxiety thinking of uh, both Watzke and Sorg leaving because they have been at the helm of Dortmund for so many years now and uh, are basically the uh, architects of Dortmund's. Uh, long-term success and uh, you know i was just thinking the other day gosh uh you know if 
if you think back to 2000 and I don't know, six or seven and how big Hamburg and Bremen were uh, for, for Dortmund uh, and, and where these clubs are now respectively and, and where Dortmund is and that it's basically, you know, Dortmund solidifying the, the second position in, in German football and, uh, you know, in the long term, hopefully we'll always have the chance to, to win a championship here and there. Um, that's just a gigantic achievement considering the city of Dortmund in Germany is not the most glorious, glamorous city, uh, does not have the, the richest, uh, you know, potential sponsors around. So, um, you, you know, doing this in a, in a structurally weak uh, area, um, you know, in comparison to, let's say, Stuttgart or Hamburg or even Berlin or so, uh, it's... It's it's pretty damn remarkable. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling a bit anxious about the future just because uh, you just don't know how it's going to go. Because I I do think that Michael Sorg is one of the best sporting sporting directors out there, and uh, you know you can very easily go on a streak uh, of bad decisions, especially if you're feeling a lot of pressure, which you ultimately will when you work at Dortmund. So um. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. But uh, in the meantime, Dortmund announced a new signing on Thursday. Uh, Thomas Meunier is joining them from PSG on a free transfer. He is 28 years old and will turn 29 in September. And he signed a four-year deal. And uh, before we talk a bit more about Meunier, which I honestly would say I can't say too many things because I don't watch uh, PSG that much. Um, Lars... Today I woke up to reports that Hakimi may or may not join Inter for 40 million euros. Um, his loan at Dortmund is certainly going to end soonish. Uh, I know you are also an Inter fan, so how how conflicted are you about this move? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, he was never going to stay at Dortmund, I don't think, especially since coronavirus hit. Uh, there was a slight chance, I thought especially if Sancho were to leave Dortmund in the summer, that they would use some of that money on Hakimi and a replacement instead of, you know, what many people have floated, but which I've never really felt was, you know, a realistic scenario in, in terms of signing Kai Havertz with the Sancho money. Um, so I, I, I had already basically written off Hakimi, especially on a long-term basis. I thought, especially after the words of Zorg on Thursday in the press conference, that there was perhaps a slight chance of him returning on a loan deal. Uh, especially again, I mean, we've, we've said it like 17 times in this episode alone, but during, uh, the Corona impeded summer transfer window, a lot of crazy things can happen. I mean, the, the transfer window is uh, presumably going to stay open until October. So, you know, you could do... <laughs> I feel so much dread just thinking about that. <laughs> you you could do a, a summer prep with your parent club, uh, maybe start the season, but don't get the chances and opportunities you would have liked um, and, and then be on the market again. But obviously, who's going to sign someone they don't really know for a lot of money in... Uh, let's say early October. So perhaps there would have been a chance for Hakimi to return to Dortmund on a loan for one season, but I don't think that was ever a too realistic option. So uh, in in that sense, I'm not really conflicted. I just don't really think he's a great fit for, maybe he's a good fit for Inter perspective, uh, per se, but you know I don't really see him gelling too well with uh, Antonio Conte, who is very demanding of all his players and especially his wingbacks. And I think he's going to, ta uh, uh, to, to uh, 
basically decapitates uh, Hakimi a couple of times when he doesn't do what Conte wants uh, defensively, which, I mean, for all his exploits going forward, we know that Hakimi at times forgets that he's a so-called uh, defender. So <laughs> I think that's that's something, you know, that from an Inter perspective, I'm not quite sure uh, how that's going to turn out. But obviously, I think, especially when, when we're also talking about Meunier, Uh, there, there will be a lot of talk about hey, Dortmund should have just signed Hakimi for 40 million, which doesn't sound too bad. Instead of giving a 28-year-old a four-year contract, which is probably going to be relatively pricey, given that he's coming from PSG and had uh, other options, especially in the Premier League. But uh, I mean, during uh, or because of coronavirus uh, and Sancho not leaving Dortmund, they just didn't have the funds, so. It's not a situation where they said, uh, you know, let's go with Meunier and Moret as, instead of Hakimi. It was a case of we can't afford Hakimi. So let's try to keep him on a loan. But if that doesn't work out, we need a, a plan B. And I think you could do a lot worse than a very experienced uh, option in Meunier who may not be, you know, the most exciting player in the world. But, you know, you still have Matteo Moret who can hopefully develop into something of a uh, more like-to-like -like Hakimi replacement and always have uh, Meunier as a as an experienced uh, fallback option, if you like. Yeah, I mean, Hakimi will leave, obviously, a hole in uh, the Dortmund team uh, this season in all competitions. He has played the most games with 44, obviously the most minutes. He's the fourth best scorer with nine goals. He has the fourth most assists with 10. His uh, goals plus Assist average per 90 is 0.48. If you compare that to Guerrero, who is on 0.34, it's pretty good. See, he has the fourth most shots, the third most shots on target, the uh, most touches, uh, and also the most touches in the middle third and second most in the final third. I think Jaden Sancho is leading in that uh, uh, department. Uh, he has the most completed passes, fourth in key passes, fourth in passes into the final third, uh, where he's actually behind Guerrero. Um, He is leading the team in progressive passes and uh, 32% of all his passes are uh, uh, progressive passes. He has obviously, as as the fastest fullback uh, or, or wingback on the team, he has the most carries and he has carried the ball in the total of uh, 13 kilometers and 8.3 kilometers of that were progressive carries. And uh, in percentage, that's uh, 64% of the distance carried is progressive, which is really impressive. Uh, And uh, yeah, he has 83 completed dribbles and 90 players passed, which is the second most uh, of all Dortmund players. Uh, he has also the second most tackles and second most tackles won in all competitions. Uh, he has got the most tackles in the defensive third, which uh, I did not anticipate, to be honest, but uh, here we are. Uh, also, <laughs> second most dribble passed by an opponent. Uh, so apparently, statistically, it's only easier to pass Julian Brandt Uh, via a dribble but uh, yeah he's also leading the team in successful pressures and he has the second most blocks and uh, most faults drawn so uh, if you rattle through the statistics of uh, Hakimi uh, this season there are a lot of flashy and impressive uh, stats obviously um, but yeah Meunier obviously his uh, his uh, attacking output isn't uh, as glorious his uh, goals plus assists per 90 minutes is at 0.13 so uh, I think right now in, in 27 games uh, or appearances and 24 starts he has one goal and two assists in all competitions to his name so um, 
yeah. Uh, I mean, he's he's a good player. Uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, I I don't think he is as good as Hakimi. Last, uh, if if you would compare the two, uh, where do you see uh, Munier doing maybe a little bit better than Hakimi? I mean, I would start by basically saying uh, that you are talking about almost two different positions. I mean, obviously, uh, Dortmund think Munier can offer something in attack, but with Hakimi, you are basically playing uh, an attacking winger in a more defensive position because he also has the athleticism to help out defensively whenever he feels like it, uh, which obviously wasn't always the case, but it's also not like, you know, he was a total liability all the time, which is something I think people struggle to... uh, content with especially online i think there's been a lot of almost gleeful chatter about hakimi leaving which you know is a bit bit strange i mean there's always the difference between banter and actual opinions but i mean yeah, if this, you this actually is what, think this is sort of what prompted me to just go through the stats and see how good he actually is and uh boy uh you know to just pretend that uh well he can't defend or whatever um, well, actually, he's a very valuable player to Dortmund, and it's going to be a big loss, especially considering this is his uh, second full professional season, and he's only 21 years old. So, um, yeah, uh, people on Twitter, uh, you can you can uh, uh, talk yourself into not liking Hakimi or whatever, but uh, he he's been very valuable for Dortmund. So, um, yeah, continue. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so. Having said that, I think Munier is definitely the uh, more solid, natural defender, even though uh, he came up more uh, as a striker uh, back in his semi-professional, I guess, days in Belgium. But he was quickly turned into a fullback, and uh, he's the starting fullback for arguably one of the uh, best uh, nations in the world right now for Belgium, has been for a couple of tournaments as well. There's also something to be said for him having played, I think, four years at PSG under pretty good coaches, as we know. Um, So obviously he brings a different athletic profile than Hakimi, who is obviously lightning quick, but Meunier uh, is quite tall, pretty good in the air, as far as I can remember, uh, which has prompted some people to think uh, that he might go the pitch check route of playing right-sided center half, which I don't see at all. I don't think he has ever played that. So yeah, I think what it what what Meunier does for Dortmund is, as I said, cover in case Moray can't, you know, be a full-time player, which is obviously something that we have to assume is the case because he basically went through a redshirt season uh, in, in his first year at Dortmund. Um, and also, I think he opens up the possibility of going back to a back four more often. I think the defensive issues uh, that Hakimi presented kind of prevented uh, Farfel from going with that more regularly. Obviously, they've been very comfortable in a back three, but you know, there's always be- it's always better to have options. They can also uh, play with a back three, but have it uh, in an asymmetrical way where it's basically a back four still. But, you know, that's kind of technical and, and unnecessary at this point. I, I Just the one thing that I don't like about this deal is that, as you said, he's 28, 10 in, turning 29 early in the season and you are giving a player you don't really know too well. Obviously, you haven't had him in your own building a four-year contract, which is pretty pricey, as I said before. So... 
you sign someone to a contract until he's 32 uh, in this current climate. I don't know that I would do that, but I can appreciate that A, Dortmund and uh, the much-appraised Michel Zorg, whom we talked about earlier, know a lot more about this kind of thing than I do. And, and also you have to probably factor in that you might not have gotten uh, a player with a relatively high international standing to come to Dortmund if you didn't meet his demands uh, on the on the way, if you like. Yeah, you kind of need to give the player at least the idea that he's uh, important and uh, really wanted. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's good to have him. I, I guess um, uh, we'll we'll see obviously how it pans out in the long term. Um, uh, I don't know if he will be my favorite player uh, and whether he will be above criticism. Probably not, but uh, <laughs> you know, um, I think it's it's a decent move, uh, especially considering that. Uh, if you have a player playing at your side, like, uh, you know, Hakimi, who is doing too well, <laughs> I guess is the perfect term, then they're going to be snatched up one way or another. I mean, this case was alone, but, uh, you know, if Hakimi were playing this well and were on a contract with Dortmund, had two years left, you could also uh, plan for another player. So I guess in, in that regard, it's positive. Um, what really was negative, however, Lars, uh, I don't know how else to say it, um, there, there was a photo, I don't know if, if it got leaked or someone just posted this, where Meunier was uh, already sending in a new uh, home kit. And uh, sometimes I see a home kit and I think, oh, well, maybe it at least will good, look good on the players. But this time, god damn it, this is atrociously hideous. Especially with that one-on-one -on -one, uh, squarey thing box. Ugh. 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 Uh, I will echo those for the sponsor logo the actual uh, kit design i don't mind i think i think I, I i said this a couple of times already if this was you know a relatively obscure for european eyes anyway mexican club a lot of people would go apeshit over the the crazy comic style whatever electabuzz pokemon uh jersey design but obviously it's Dortmund so everything's bad about the, the jersey <laughs> until you know people get to see it a couple of times on Marco Reus or other favorites of theirs and, and suddenly it's selling well as always but certainly the the square box sponsorship doesn't work with it and it certainly looks like Puma weren't expecting a sponsorship change because it would look so much better with uh, the, the horizontal Evonic or something horizontal from one and one perhaps, but this square thing in the middle with so much wasted space, uh, that's a no from uh, the style icons on the yellow wall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it would have been fine, as you said, if it were for, for, for that square thingy. So uh, this extra uh, yellow space in between... Uh, it just just looks kind of weird. So um, anyway, uh, since we need to wrap up soon, uh, last uh, lastly, of course, uh, Hoffenheim. Uh, that will be the final game of uh, Mario Götze, who won't play, for example, because uh, I think uh, his his baby got delivered a bit uh, too early, and they had been uh, uh, with his wife in the Niku or whatever you want to call it. At least he he's been uh, at the hospital many times. So um, that's why he didn't feature in the, in the last couple of games. So uh, yeah, farewell to Mario Götze and farewell, I guess, to Araf Hakimi. Um, anyone else I've uh, I've overseen? Uh, Michael Sorg said that um, there's no reason to give a farewell to Schmelzer since uh, he has another contract 
Um, so, um, yeah, not that these are too important right now because there are no fans in the stadium, but a quick comment from you before I read two more stats and then we're out. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they said they wouldn't give a farewell to Hakimi because they wanted to keep him on another loan deal, uh, which is basically what they said. I mean, they only said the first part uh, on Thursday, but uh, the second part very much in the subtext. Uh, I don't know if that's changed now. I don't know if it really makes a difference. I mean, as you said, no fans involved, certainly no uh, glory subs, you know, in the 89th minute, uh, which have been the case in, in, in other years and would be certainly for Götze, I think, even though I'm not too sure how the hardcore fans on the yellow wall would even react in that case. I mean, probably uh, with kind of a non-reaction, really. So, yeah, I mean, we've talked enough over the last few years about his return not really working out too well. I think uh, history is written by the victors, obviously. So uh, him leaving after a season in relative obscurity without a lot of playing time, especially in the second half of the season, will kind of make it out like he was a complete failure in his return to Dortmund. But I just want to remind people that there were spells, especially under Favre last season, second half of the season, he was clearly Dortmund's best player uh, over, you know, a stretch of at least 10 to 15 games or whatever. Uh, there were stretches of the old Mario Götze brilliance, and I just really hope that he goes somewhere where he can A, be happy with his family, which is obviously now the most important thing uh, for him anyway, and, and also where he, as a player, can just shine in the way, you know, I think he's still capable of, but clearly it wasn't going to happen at Dortmund anymore. Yeah, Lucifer made a, a point at the press conference just to say that uh, Mario Götze is one of the most intelligent footballers he's ever coached. And obviously, I'm personally a little bit sad to see him leave uh, that way because he was always one of my favorite players. So, uh, yeah, sad that it didn't work out. But, um, yeah, uh, we expected that for a very long time. Now, Lars, um, I guess... A lot of Dortmund fans are itching to beat Hoffenheim because uh, apparently among all the teams that Dortmund have faced at least 20 times in the Bundesliga, they only have uh, a lower win percentage against Bayern, which is 25% than they do versus Hoffenheim, uh, which is at 35%. And I think the same percentage is also against Schalke. So uh, sort of Hoffenheim have been a, a bogey team and uh, Dortmund have a four-game uh, winless streak against Hoffenheim, which is the longest streak uh in in the bundesliga going on currently and uh yeah so i i guess dortmund have something to play for to please their fans uh that's that's all i would discern from this game other than you know last home match of the season you want to breach that 70 point barrier um but yeah i, I, don't, I don't know what else to make of this game i mean hoffenheim still have to play for uh six plays if they want because wolfsburg play against Bayern. so uh if Hoffenheim get a point or so, they might get that place. But uh, yeah, I, I don't care about them. So I guess that's the first time maybe I, I see or hear of uh, Jakob Brun Larsen in, in a very long time. But otherwise, I just hope Dortmund have another good game, maybe a blowout win, have some fun, and, and uh, then we can all go into the very deserved summer break. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say uh, I'm... I would advise people who have the chance to watch uh, a simulcast of Bundesliga games to perhaps think of not watching 90 minutes of Dortmund versus Hoffenheim 
when there's a tasty scrap against uh, relegation with two, I mean, one huge club in Bremen and another big club in, in Düsseldorf. And also, I think the duel between Gladbach and Leverkusen for the final Champions League sport. I think that might be a more worthwhile way to spend 90 minutes. Unless, of course, I mean, we are a Dortmund podcast. Uh, you you want to get those final 90 minutes in, but I'm actually not quite sure what I'm going to do. I mean, work-wise, might make sense to watch the simulcast for me. So that, that might be where I'm going, at least for like the final 20 minutes or so, because there's always some drama on, on the final match day, and I'm sure that that's going to be the case as well here. Yeah, I'm definitely going to second screen uh, the simulcast somewhere uh, if I can find a a working stream because obviously I don't have a subscription to Sky and I don't think that Fox Sports offer it in, in any way and I also don't have any access to the Fox Soccer Match Pass uh, because why would I? Uh, it's terrible and most games are here you know, on TV in the United States anyway either on FS1 or FS2 so um, yeah. Without any further ado Lars, I think it's time for predictions and then uh, wrap up this uh, 46 minute show which is 50 minutes longer than uh, we had anticipated so uh, please go ahead and what's your final prediction of this season? How could I end the season with anything other than the housewife tip of a 2-1 home win for Dortmund? <laughs> yeah, I'm going for a 3-0 for Dortmund and uh, yeah, that's it from us for now. Uh, Lars, please tell our listeners where to find you on Twitter. <laughs> find me at Lars Polman. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast and all the various means, please go to YouTube, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify or Amazon or all the other uh, various means. Uh, just, uh, you know, find your favorite podcatcher and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That would be awesome. And if you want to read our written content, then go to theyellowwall.net where you also find uh, the ways to subscribe to our Patreon and all that. So um, as always, everyone out there, thank you for listening. And until next week, good.